0: Hi everyone it's kino here thanks so much for joining me on seek up the yoga inspiration show i am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me i am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the OMSTARS yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, it was re- really nice to share the practice with you this morning. And for those of you that were here for the whole week, it was really nice to share the practice with you for the whole week. It's really special, this gift of the practice. So it's something that... I think it's important to remind yourself of over and over again of how special the gift of the practice really is to understand that it's not about the attainment of, um, certain physical poses. It's not a game of, you know, asana achievement or physical performance that this is a spiritual tool that is very special, very unique. And many people, uh, somehow, either miss the gift of the practice, take it for granted, set it aside, or misunderstand it, and then end up kind of not receiving it in a way, like any gift, we have to receive it. I don't know if you ever, it, 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 sometimes we, we someone gives us a gift and we don't receive it well, and maybe we don't say thank you. We don't recognize, oh, this was something special. So we set it aside. And then we only realize maybe once it's broken or discarded or something like that, that we realize, oh, that was a really special thing. So it's important to remind ourselves over and over again, oh, this special practice, this gift of the practice. This was given to me. I have had the great good fortune to come into contact with this teaching and something inside of me has responded to that and said, yes, because how many other people have walked into a yoga class, maybe even Ashtanga class, some class, and then they walked out and said, oh, it's not for me. You know, oh, it's too sweaty. I don't like this. Oh, there's too many of these chaturanga things. I don't like this. Oh, it's too demanding. I have to do lotus position. My hip is tight. This is horrible. Let me find something else. So they reject the gift of the practice, even though they have had some sort of contact with it. But you... Everyone have somehow received the gift. So acknowledge that within yourself and then remind yourself over and over again not to take it for granted. There are many ways we can take the practice for granted without realizing we're taking the practice for granted. The first thing, the first and most obvious way that we take the practice for granted is just by not doing it. You know, and I know we've all been there. Some, we get busy. We have various things that come into our lives and we just think, Oh, not today. Oh, I cannot today. Oh, I don't have any time. And then we set it aside. So now we're not using the gift. We've taken it for granted in this way. Some people, they, 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 they do that in such a, such a sort of dramatic way that instead of saying, Oh, I'll do it later, like tomorrow, they'll say, I'll do it once I retire. Then I'll have more time. (laughs) Finally, when I retire, then I'll be able to do this yoga thing. But right now I'm too busy. I have too many other things going on. So later. And, you know, should we be so lucky to have that later come? Well, then that's wonderful. But later is not always guaranteed. You know, we have to use what time we have. So this is delaying or discarding the practice in some capacity. It's the one way we take it for granted. Another way we take it for granted is when doubt starts to overcome us. And doubt is a known obstacle on the spiritual path. And it's one of the ways where we uh, move away from appreciation and into uh, a kind of mindset that just doesn't see the value. And there are many ways that we can doubt. Everybody here, you've doubted yourself at some moment. Yes, everyone. Me too. You know? Oh, and what are the ways we doubt ourselves? Oh, you know, the practice is so good, but it's not for me. You know? Oh, the practice is so good, but my arms are too short right? There's many people, including myself, who would like to have just like a little bit more on the arm front would be really nice. You know, just a little just dreaming of like maybe the leg also for me, just I would actually take anything to be honest with you. Um, you know, I used to wear really, really uh, high shoes before I started practicing yoga. And I actually wore uh, quite uh, high shoes for a few years when I first started to practice until I started doing these really deep ankle bends. And then my teacher told me, you know, it's because you wear those horrible shoes (laughs) that your ankle is so stiff. And I thought... Maybe he has a point, you know, because I don't think that, you know, high heeled shoes are ergonomically designed to create a maximum flexibility in the foot. I think you suffer pretty much when you put those on. So I stopped wearing those. I recently went to an event. Now like I haven't been in Miami for holiday season last year, and then this year I went to an event and I had to stuff my foot into one of those shoes. (laughs) And you know, they banned flip flops. So I'm like, okay, well (laughs) let me see if I can dig that out of the closet. And when I I actually went to the bathroom and sat on the sofa in the bathroom just to remove the shoes (laughs) for about 10 minutes. And then I went back out and my foot felt traumatized. And I thought, you know, I think my teacher was right. <laughs> so it's okay to doubt the shoe, but not your body because you can remove the shoe, but you cannot change your body. When you doubt your body, then we create a scenario where if, if you believe the doubt, then the only solution is to quit the practice. But we can also doubt the practice. Many people, they doubt the practice of someone. Oh, Ashtanga yoga is so demanding. Six days a week. such a lifelong relationship. I don't even want a relationship. And now, you know, I have to, I didn't, I didn't know that yoga proposed to me me, but now I'm married to yoga, you know, you can never go on a date because they, you know, say, let's meet at eight. You say, I can't, I have to get up tomorrow at 4 a.m. Can we meet at four, you know? And then, so then we think, oh, this yoga is not for me. It's ruined my life. The practice is too hard. We doubt the practice. Then we may also doubt the teacher. Some people think, oh, the practice is so wonderful, but this teacher is horrible. You know, the practice is good. I think I am pretty good, but the teacher... Always late, always looking, never paying attention to me, doesn't remember my name. When I first went to India, there were many people that were obsessed with, does he remember my name? And I'm like, look, he is plus 80 years old, Do you know, he's 80 years like he remembers his own name. That's wonderful. Do you know, fantastic. He knows all the Asana names. He remembers everything important. He just met you, you know? Yeah, how many times do you want to meet him before he remembers your name? For a long time, he didn't remember my name, you know? And then uh, he would, I, I became, first I became Miami Girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But then I confused him because I went on the tour and I saw him in New York and he looked at me and he went, you New York, why? And I said, he said, Miami girl, New York. I said, yeah, New York, I came to New York. Oh, okay. And then I saw him in California. And then he looked at me and he was in San Francisco, so extremely confused. You, New York, New York. And I said, no, New York. Oh, Miami girl, California, why, (laughs) how? And I'm like, you took a plane, I also took a plane. We took a plane. We came here. Oh, okay. I said, also, I see you in India. We also go on the plane there. And then he just looked at me like, Oh, very strange. <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, um, and then I saw him in like Denmark. And then that was, that was a whole other world. Like, Oh, also here, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I had it there. I had the excuse. Then Tim is Danish. So I said, Oh, husband, um, and then that made sense. So when we, so when we doubt our teacher, um, sometimes we, it's important to have a little bit of healthy questioning. So healthy questioning is not like discouraging doubt. When we have discouraging doubt or doubt as an obstacle, that means that this gets in the way between you and your practice, you and your sadhana, you and your spiritual path. When you have healthy doubt, This means you're asking critical questions that will further you along the path. And that's an important distinction to make because we tend to go all or nothing. Either we doubt everything and we throw everything out. Everything is horrible. Teacher is bad. Practice is bad. I am also bad. You know, we just, everything is horrible or everything is wonderful. Teacher is amazing. Practice is amazing. Maybe the last one, not always included in that, but sometimes I, I, you know, sometimes many Ashtanga people are hard on themselves occasionally I meet someone who is like I'm just awesome and I'm like wow that's really interesting I'm like what's it like in your head I just don't have that world you know but they're like yeah I'm pretty awesome aren't I and I'm like you sure you've been practicing this ashtanga how many years you still think you're awesome okay like let's try third series you know <laughs> but um are you know usually um Usually I think uh, we all have some voice of doubt within ourselves and the voice of doubt when it's self-directed, when it becomes self-denigrating, when it becomes self-directed negativity, when it prevents us from getting on the mat, then it's it's doubt as a spiritual obstacle, right? And doubt as a spiritual obstacle is, is a known obstacle on the spiritual path and it's an impediment to your appreciation and your respect of the practice. So when doubt comes up for you and you feel like, oh, it's not... Wonderful. Or another way um, that doubt can come up is romanticization or nostalgia of the past. To think of what once was as this unattainable ideal that we'll never get back. When I first went to India, so many people discouraged me. They said, don't go. And I said, well, I want to go. I want to go. Why, why can't I go? I want to go. I oh, don't go. I don't Why not? You went. Yes, it's different now. And I thought, different? Of course, it's different. Everything changes. You know, oh, it was so much better, you know, in the early 90s. And I was like, well, I wasn't available to go in the early 90s. You know, I'm sorry. I was still in the public educational system in the United States. I couldn't really take some time off to go to India. And I hadn't discovered it yet. And I needed to do a whole detour into a lot of unhealthy stuff before I was available for yoga so I'm sorry what, what you were doing in the 90s was not what I was doing in the 90s I'm like oh man that romanticization back in the day and I'm like back in the day you don't even have a photo to show and he was just like <laughs> this you know back in the day and it's don't go it's not the same you know and I think you know, I'm going but had I believed that romanticized version of a past an unattainable sort of ideal of what once was you know um, I would have never gone and many people say the same thing now. People that went in the early 2000s, oh, it's not the same. It's never the same, you know. It's also, it's also not the Paleolithic age, you know. It's also not like that. We're not hunting and gathering anymore. Thank God, <laughs> you know. But now there are like diets that say we should hunt and gather um, or eat like we were hunting and gathering. Um, and if that works for you, that's great. But I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't like to, I don't like the idea of hunting and gathering. I like toilets. Um, that yeah, might be the, the main, um, negative feature of hunting and gathering, uh, you know, like, uh, showers and hot water, you know, you think about that. I don't mind foraging for berries. Like that sounds fun, but then, <laughs> but then what, you know, like I want to go home after, <laughs> right? So if we, again, if we're thinking of this, oh, some back in the day when it was once wonderful, Yes we have to a very large degree um, an amazing history within the lineage of yoga but that is not a source of doubt that is the source of faith that is not a source of what we have lost but that is the source of respect into the tradition that we step that we step each time we come onto the mat. And if we can understand how to properly think and how to properly train our thoughts, then every time we get back on the mat, we can, we can go deeper into the practice. We can develop appreciation, no matter what asanas we're doing, no matter what level of strength, whatever level of flexibility, no matter what thoughts are present in our mind, we can understand that just getting on the mat, doing what we do, keeping the continuity of the practice day by day, day by day, little by little, we're continuing down our spiritual path and understand that that's enough. That is the best way that we can honor the practice and the best way we can express our appreciation and the best antidote to doubt is, what is, a, is a strong and powerful expression of faith. Not the blind faith that says, oh, I just it's just gonna all come. No, the faith that says, let me appreciate this by stepping on the mat. Let me take this day, because I have this day. I don't know if I have tomorrow, but I have today. So let me practice today in the here and now. And in that way, we're working with the quality of mind that seems to say later, that seems to say it's not for me. It's not important. There are other things that are more important. We're working with that by kind of grabbing it and saying, no, this is important. And I'm going to express that by doing what I can do today. Even if I'm in pain, even if I'm injured, even if I cannot do, even if the person next to me is joining the Olympics and I cannot today, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's discouraging. It's, it's like it's, it's honestly discouraging when you work really hard and someone next to you who seems like they just arrived from some new planet is just doing everything. And then when we work with that and say, okay, good for you, you don't know what their story is. And then you recognize, let me validate my own work. So what i would like for everybody that's that's really stepping into the practice and especially those of you who have joined this week is to take the active state of faith back with you and this is not external type of faith but um faith uh, in sanskrit is called shraddha and shraddha uh is it includes various elements of faith so it's not only i believe but it's also i respect I will work and I have energy, the, the kind of enthusiasm that comes when you believe in something, right? And and it's not like a gift of grace, but it's something active that we cultivate and we practice at, just like the practice itself. So I would like all of you to take a little bit of that type of Shraddha back that sort of says, I believe in this, I believe in myself, and I'm committed to this, not, you know, snap of the fingers. I'm going to do all the lift-ups, but I understand that the gift of the practice is precious. And I'm going to commit myself to honoring that by doing the one thing that I can do, which is practicing. You know, after Pratabi Joyce died, there were a lot of my friends who were like, oh, I just don't feel like practicing anymore. And I'm like, how is that honoring his life? Do you know, like now he's not here and you want to quit, but why, you know, if he was here, you would practice, right? Like, yeah, but like, I feel lost now. I'm like, look, we are all lost. Don't think that they're like, now there's this group of people that they're found and then there's everybody else. And then you are the lost sheep of the whole tribe. No, we are all lost. We're all hanging on to the last threads of hope wherever we can and trying to follow that, right? We're all in that boat. There's no like group of people that have it all sorted out, myself included. We're all following just enough light to take one more step on the path. So I would like all of you to take that much light, whatever the next step is for you, whether it's recovering from an injury, whether it's making the commitment to just do the practice, whether it's going deeper into the meditative elements of the practice, whether it's motivating yourself to do a little bit more consistency, whatever it is, find that just enough light to take the next step. And that's also important when we're thinking about faith. You don't need to have the plan for what's going to happen over the next 10 years, the next 20 years. We just need enough sustenance to get us through the next step forward. So when we're thinking about doubt, one of the other things that 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 can come up, um, uh, someone said something really funny to me uh, this past week. Is this uh, um, the old student said to me, oh, "I'm doing so much of so many other things that are ruining my yoga practice." You know, and I said, "Oh, what are you doing?" Oh, surfing, golf, life, lots of fun things. And I said, "Oh, sounds nice." You know, it sounds like nice life, but know? Uh, I'm doing too much surfing. Oh, poor you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Oh, I'm doing too much golf oh also horrible i've never actually i've only played mini golf so i don't really know if it's fun but if you love golf it sounds wonderful right so like fantastic oh poor life oh so now i come to my yoga practice and my hip feels tight and i cannot forward bend and uh, and he said to me you know what they say yoga is good for everything but nothing is good for yoga (laughs) We understand and we think about it. Oh, so you decide I'm going to go for a hike. Wonderful. Yoga makes your hips more flexible so you can enjoy the hike. Come back to your mat after the hike horrible, you know. Oh, I'm so stiff, I cannot go forward. Maybe you twisted your ankle, stepped in a hole, and then now, oh, my ankle. Then yoga heals your body, and then what do you do? Again, hike. As soon as you're ready, you know, and you come back, oh, look, so stiff, horrible, right? And And then in that way, it's funny. We think, oh, what is good for yoga? Lying there and Eating sattvic food. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what do we do? We go around and do everything else, right? And then, and then this is interesting, right? So we, we think, okay, now, um, what do we do in that schism when we have sort of calls to do other things in our life. There's um, another student who wrote me and said that she really, really likes weightlifting. She really loves weightlifting. Um, And she says when she practices yoga, she feels it helps her weightlifting. But guess what? weightlifting doesn't really help yoga so much, right? And then it's true. Absolutely. You know, with a rare exception. So there's a few people that have diseases of flexibility and that is, you're thinking, how do I get that? But you don't want it. I promise. (laughs) Is it contagious? Can we, you know, no, you don't want it. There's a, there's a disease called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a, a disease of flexibility that, that, that infuses not only, you know, the places that the yoga person wants to be flexible, like the muscle, and the tissues of the body, but also the cell walls. Um, and there's a whole host of uh, r- really problematic things that come with that. So in the rare case of someone that has like a disease of flexibility, that weightlifting could actually be beneficial, um, you know, uh, and there's and, and very like 0.01% of the population. It's probably not you, in other words. Um, so... The average person will find that not only weightlifting, but also golf or surfing or marathon running, will find that if we do intensive training, athletics of any type, whether um, sports, athleticism, or any sort of intensive training, when we're going through an intensive training of some other discipline, at that time is not the appropriate time to try to go deeply in our yoga practice. That is the time to maintain consistency of our practice, but not push. The asanas. And this is also true if your intensive discipline is not only physical, but is also spiritual. So for example, if you join a meditation retreat, this is not the time to try to advance in your physical asanas. This is the time to focus on that. So in the same way, you're training for a marathon, train for a marathon. Let your yoga practice support the marathon training. And this is important to understand that in that way, it'll go up and down. This is acceptance. This isn't disregard of the practice. This is understanding, oh, I'm choosing consciously to do this other focus for a little bit, but I still will respect the practice by keeping it as part of my daily life. And then once you're done with that, competitive training or intensive uh, discipline of spiritual self-inquiry, then you can come back to the asana practice and then reintegrate it. And so in this way, we can have kind of a push-pull relationship if we have other interests that are in our life. And those, those other interests might be physical, those other interests might also be spiritual. Those other interests might also be academic. For example, um, those other interests might be uh, family related. So we have, we have other things that we need for one reason or another to, to vote our attention to, but, um, but we might need to uh, just come back to the practice. It <laughs> <Because> like, Oh, <laughs> oh poor me, I'm barking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know um, and David Swenson he has this funny expression where he says don't let yoga ruin your life And and so what that means is if you have other interests uh, and especially those interests which are giving you some sort of uh, inspiration, meaning that they provide sort of deeper value in your life, we don't need to quit them just because we observe, oh, this doesn't help me do deeper back bends. This doesn't help me do deeper forward bends. And we have to acknowledge the competing interests that are there and then devote resources towards it. If we don't do that, then we won't respect the other discipline. And that's also important. Having sort of burning the candle at both ends physically, spiritually can lead to burnout. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen in many students. Some students don't tell me that they're running a marathon. You know, they don't tell, they keep it to themselves. And then I just see them getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And and then somehow I have to ask, what are you doing? You know, oh, I'm doing a marathon. Oh, that's really good information. Please tell me, you know, then I'm not going to come every day and do deeper, deeper, deeper and wonder why you're getting stiffer, stiffer, stiffer. I'm going to know you're doing a marathon. Great. Do a marathon. Light practice now. Skip the vinyasas. Do a little bit more yin in the practice. Have a little more soft approach, you know, and that's okay. All right. Acknowledge, share that information with your teacher is important. Um, keeping it private because we're maybe afraid that we won't be accepted by the yoga community. If we're also doing a marathon or if we're also doing a long meditation retreat or something like that needs to, uh, well, we need to have a, a community that's supportive and inclusive enough to be able for us to be able to feel safe, to share the information. And so that's also a very important part of, you know, of the, the yoga practice is the, 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 sort of community environment that we're in. Um, and, and, if the community is not supporting, uh, sort of an integrated approach to life and practice then that's the healthy doubt that makes you question you know why not what's going on you know what's happening here that there's not space for me to go on a meditation retreat you know if you're there's not space for me to go surfing when the rare days in Florida where that's possible you know And, and Florida if you can surf too much that's uh that's like a gift from God, <laughs> you know what I mean? And most of the time we have this flat ocean over here, maybe, right? <laughs> so um, w- one of the reasons why I wanted to give you the sort of the, the, the gift of, of, of how we can respect the practice to understand the gift of the practice, to respect those who've come before us. Um, and then, and this is important when we think about respecting the practice, to understand that we are now the lineage We have stepped into the flow of the lineage. We have stepped into that. All those who came before us, they are there also. And there are somehow all those who will come after us. So now we have stepped into the lineage. How we interact with the teaching influences how those in the future will receive or not receive the teaching. So how we respect the practice, the fact that we are practicing, the fact that we understand the lineage, those who came before us, the history of the practice, that we acknowledge the sort of totality of the spiritual journey, that will have an influence on the health of the lineage. So it's important we understand that it's not only for our own benefit, not only because we're giving thanks to our teachers and those who came before us, but we're also sort of, in a way, making sure that the integrity of the practice gets passed down. You know, it's uh, this classic uh, example of the game of telephone that we play as children, where one person whispers something into an ear and it starts off with like, Bob has an elephant, comes all the way around the room, turns into like, Karen went to the moon. And then we're like, wait a minute. And if that happens to the lineage, we have lost so much. You know, um, Richard Freeman has a really wonderful way of um, sort of years about the, what we have lost. And he says that the lineages are so potent that if we can just um, get in touch with even a drop that comes from the source of the flow of the lineage, that that has the potential to nourish and sprout and grow and kind of renew what was once lost, that it's not, it's like a seed, you could say. And if the entire forest is gone, but a seed remains, if given the opportune environment, then that seed can sprout a new tree, birthing an entire new forest, if given the right conditions. So we don't need to think about all we've lost. Instead, we can think about caring for what we have and then taking good care of that each time we step on the practice doing what we can to you know um respect that and, and and recognizing again the grace and good fortune that we have not only to have received the practice to sort of come into contact with it but that something in us has said yes and that we make time and we make space for that without that you know the lineage ends. It's like all the seeds disperse. And it's this classic, um, you know, this classic uh, parable from uh, from the teaching of Jesus. It's like there's a seed that lands in the crack and then can never grow. And then the seed that lands on the and the on the path and gets eaten by birds also cannot grow. Then the seed that lands in a you know in an infertile soil cannot grow. But the seed that lands in good soil and what we can do, what can we do? What do you think? We can make ourselves good soil. Soil, right? That's what we can do. We can send seeds out, but we can't control. Right? Who knows? There's so many students that I've, 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 I've met over the years. Some that I'm so inspired by that turned out to be like rocky soil. You know? And I thought, wow. And then I thought, how? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I didn't understand. And others that I had no idea. They were taking the teaching. And then I see them years later and I thought, Wow. Wow. Amazing. You kept the teaching. Fantastic. That feels amazing. And what we can do, I cannot control. I can give I can give and give. And the teachers also give and give, but it's up to us as students to make ourselves um, open receptacles, fertile ground, receptive to the teaching. And then and then, you know, as much as we can provide nurturance, provide water, provide nutrients make the space for the practice. And just like, I don't know, I'm kind of into growing plants. I think plants are cool, just um, generally. Uh, and especially ones that provide fruits, I think are extremely cool. Uh, this gives me great pleasure to see a plant produce a fruit, first a flower and then a fruit and then the fruit Maybe you can eat it that's also exciting Um, and then there's a seed within each fruit and then it's extremely exciting to watch that seed potentially sprout and begin again another plant again flowering again producing a fruit and then like a cycle and it's, it's somehow very exciting when we think about that and if we ourselves are both the seed and the fruit this is also exciting oh I'm the fruit of my labor and I'm also the seed of what comes next And, and, and in this way, this, we can, we can think about the cycle of yoga as continuing from our own efforts and our, our own, our own labors. And there's, um, you know, there's a, also this, this fruit analogy and the seed analogy is classic within almost all of the spiritual traditions throughout, throughout the entire world. But within yoga, we say that the, that, that there are many types of seeds that we can nurture, not only the seed of the practice. So it's up to us to create. Create the fertile ground for the right seeds to grow. So otherwise, what other seeds are there? Can anyone think of some other seeds? What other seeds are there? Instead of the seed of spiritual practice, then they're all the seeds of all the obstacles. See, we can nurture the seeds of doubt at any time. We can nurture that. Very easy. See how easy it is to nurture the seeds of doubt? You know? You'll know, you find many people that will join you in a chorus of doubt, very quickly, right? Start complaining about your yoga practice on social media. A chorus of people, people that you don't even know, and it will multiply. Suddenly there's like a symphony, horrible, 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 horrible. But say, I do this practice and it's so wonderful for me. And you'll hear like, yeah, (laughs) sure. And then you'll hear the symphony in the background. Are you sure? Is it good for you? That looks horrible. And you're like, I like it. (laughs) So, you know, it's so easy to nurture the seeds of doubt, the seeds of division, the seeds of, you know, all the things that get in the way of our practice. So create the fertile ground, create the faith, provide the sustenance for just enough light to take one step forward. And in that way, again, we continue the practice. Sooner or later, the fruits of our labor, right? The fruits of our labor will be born. And if we continue to nurture the seeds of the practice, then the saying is that then the fruits will be sweet, right? But if we nurture the seeds of doubt and division and all the obstacles to the path, fruits will come also from that seed, but the seeds will be, I'm sorry, the fruits will be bitter, inedible, disgusting, you know, extremely disappointing. I don't know if you've ever gone up to a, a tree and thought, oh, what sweet fruits, wonderful. And you plucked one, brought it home, cut it open you disgusting (laughs) and then what a wonderful surprise if the opposite is there oh you know then you grew somehow it's more disappointing when you've grown that thing but um, and then you're like let me get rid of this right now Uh, but then if you find a fruit and then you bring it home and you cut it open and it's sweet how wonderful so then we say the sweet fruits of the practice which are and, and what are the classic what's the classic evidence and these are like the fruits of our labor for many years of practice Nowhere do any of the spiritual texts say you're going to do a perfect handstand. None of the spiritual texts say you're going to do wonderful backbends. All the spiritual texts say the sweet fruits of the practice are compassion, kindness, wisdom, viveka, clarity, being able to see clearly. Um, And so if our practice is leading us to compassion and wisdom, then the practice is working for us. And so so look for that as evidence. Oh, this is working. Better do it again right? It's working. I would do it again. So we have a little bit more time. Any questions that have come up during this week? Um, Any questions online also? We can take a moment. You know what you're saying is we're farmers. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I like that. We're farmers, not yogis, or we're we're yogi farmers. <laughs> we can think about that as yogi farmers. Yeah, if we get into that like and I, maybe 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 you know yoga came of light in a time of of uh, agriculture, I don't know, but there are a lot of agricultural analogies with within yoga, you know. So the another another um, analogy that comes up is that all of the the sort of the 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 seeds of all the obstacles that these are like almonds in the field of our mind and that uh, they're not from California. Um, does <laughs> everybody know why? Cause all the almonds from California are flash pasteurized so they cannot produce anything. If only they were right. But all of our, our almonds are like Italian, um, which can grow. Um, and they're more flat. If you notice that's the California almonds, they're more round and puffy because they've been flash pasteurized. And then the like European almonds are flat. You know, it sounds bad, but it's actually nice. Um, <laughs> they're, they're more slightly tastier. Uh, so the almonds, um, uh, which have not been pasteurized, uh, when we throw them into the seed, uh, throw them into the fields, then they start uh, and then they start thinking maybe I can grow here, and the samskaras, our behavioral patterns and thinking patterns and aggregate patterns, the the vasanas, all of these things sort of aggregate. Um, and when the almond is in the almond seed is in the fertile ground, not of faith, not of enthusiasm for the practice, but is in the fertile ground of attachment and aversion, then it sprouts. Right? Desire. The almond is like, this is for me. You know, you called. And then a little, it sprouts. And then we feed it again. We give more attachment, more aversion. Then it roots. Then again, attachment, aversion. We push the cycle again. Then it sprouts. Then it's up on the ground. continue to feed it. And then it grows. And it grows. And then suddenly we have a giant tree. And then it has, then it flowers. And then we get a fruit and we taste it. And that is that is one of the ways that we can understand karma the action that we take, leading to the taste of uh of the, the sort of flavor of our action. light seeds, dark seeds, or karma? Like, Yeah, I mean like seeds, I think Yeah, I think light and dark is maybe is is um what we understand is the in terms of the Sanskrit, if we look, the words light and dark are not used, but the words klishta and aklishta are used. So when we have uh, these patterns, we're presented as a klishta, we're presented either as klishtavriti or aklishtavriti. And what this means, the klishta is uh, that the, 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 it comes from the Sanskrit word klesha, which means obstacle. Right? And so if we have a klishtavriti, so this seed will bear the fruits of obstacles. Do we call it dark? I don't know. Like there are some fruits which are very pleasurable, which are also dark, like avocados, You know, <laughs> dark skin, very pleasurable. Uh, so, uh, but then akhlishtavriti, that seed, which will not lead to suffering, Doesn't necessarily say it will lead to goodness, but it will at least lead to non-suffering. So akhlishtavriti. And this is we try to nurture those seeds. Oh, this seed. So what is that? That's the seed that the that's the seed of the practice. That's the seed of compassion, kindness. That's the seed that brings us back to the mat. Um, So you're, you're right. We're yogi farmers in the field of the mind. And the field of the mind is not the brain, but the field of the mind is the body. And so we have this, um, you know, this, this wonderful incarnation in the human form that allows us to feel the impact of all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our emotions, everything that we do, we can feel within our body before we taste the fruits which means before we harm another being. If we can be so sensitive as to realize, oh, this is the thought, this is the fruit within my body, let me stop feeding that thought and plant a different seed. We can take constructive action. It's very difficult. First, we have to develop the sensitivity to feel our bodies, you know? So we can think of asana. So what do you think the purpose of asana is? What do you think? Any guesses? Quiet the mind. Quiet the mind and... Feel the body right so how many of you knew you had a pelvic floor before you started yoga anyone <laughs> no right we're like walking around and then someone's like pelvic floor you're like a what a, a who? A, 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 and then and then like oh and then you like google it and you're like oh interesting wow I mean I started yoga before there was google so people were just like pelvic floor Ooh. and I was like I need to go back they need to take like a biology class you know <laughs> and then there's all these weird muscles and weird parts of our body that we've never felt until we start doing some weird asana. And then, you know, um, sometimes, you know, Sharad sometimes says, you know, new pose, new pain. It's not the, not the best advertisement for, you know, yoga, but uh, unfortunately um, if we deconstruct the word pain, what he means is like, you're going to feel something you never felt in your body before. And you're probably going to be a little sore tomorrow. Not the, I'm hopefully not the pain that leads to injury, but, um, but you know, you do something new. Oh, I never felt my hip. Oh, I never felt my shoulder like that. Oh, I never felt that part of my spine before. The first time I ever did, I did the first time I did full primary series, Ashtanga yoga practice, I got out of bed the next day and I had never felt my hamstring muscles before. I just, I mean, I generally knew that they were there, but then when I stepped out of bed, I thought, Oh, Oh, Oh no. And I felt, can I straighten the leg? I don't know. Am I going to make it to the bathroom? I'm not sure. Let me hold the wall. But, you know, it was like more traumatizing than a hangover at that point. I will say at that point in my life, I was more acclimated to hangovers. So that was more normalized for me. Um, Now I'm dramatically more acclimated to soreness. Yeah. Yeah. So be a good farmer. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm so on Monday we have a class where you have a try to extend the uh, meditative state Aha. the room. I was wondering uh-huh. how much of that meditative stage mm-hmm. that's the relationship to that between the other standards. Yeah, super good question. So I'll just repeat for everyone um, tuning in at home. Um, On Monday, we did a yin and meditation class. And um, Chris's question is how much of the meditative state do we bring into the dynamic flow of the Ashtanga practice? Um, And that's a super interesting question. Um, Ashtanga yoga, the dynamic vinyasa practice is normally understood to be like a yang practice, very dynamic, very active, um, generating an internal heat and internal fire, a lot of jumping, we're jumping here, we're jumping there. Um, and I noticed that many people don't or aren't able to integrate a softness. And so then we end up burning too quickly. That internal fire of tapas turns into a state that's cannibalistic, what we could call the rajastic state. This is too intense. Um, and then we begin to kind of cannibalize our own, our own energy, our own bodies. We push too hard. We injure ourselves. We harm ourselves. And the opportunity is to learn softness in that moment. And, and for me, I have been sitting um, Vipassana meditation for over 20 years. And for me, the softness used to be only in the same. And I would go and do asanas. Then I realized, I don't know, at some moment, I realized that after my sitting, I wanted to extend the meditative state, but I didn't want to meditate anymore (laughs) because I'm like, oh, I've just been sitting for an hour. I think I don't want to sit anymore. Also, my (laughs) butt is a little tired. I'd like to change the position. And then, then there came this question, well, what position am I going to change to? So I started many years ago to after my sitting practice holds certain asanas in supported poses so that I could extend the meditative state. And then I realized that there was a byproduct of that. When I returned to my physical asana practice, my body was no longer stressed out In some of those forms, because I had meditated while being in that form. So for example, instead of, instead of feeling, you know, like tightness in Bhadrakhanasana, if I was able to be in a meditative state in a very supported Bhadrakhanasana, where I wasn't trying to stretch or open the hips, but just breathe and be, then when I came back to the flow of the Ashtanga practice, suddenly that asana was also was integrated in the meditative way. So I started to do more of that myself. And over the last um, five, six years or so, I started to teach uh, that combination of meditation and yin. Um, For Ashtanga practitioners, I think it's very, very important to have some non-doing practice that's integrated into their daily routines. I advise everybody practicing Ashtanga yoga more than, I would say more than a year, um, definitely more than five years to have at least a daily sitting practice and to start there. Um, And if that doesn't work, then five minutes of sitting and maybe five minutes of yin or something like that. So that there's some soft element in the practice. Other people find the softness in other ways, like people do chanting practices, bhakti practices. Those also work as a yin space. Sometimes pranayama does not work as a yin space in Ashtanga because it can be all we do. Kumbhaka pranayamas don't really tap you into a quiet space. They kind of tap you into like a, I'm going to die space. <laughs> so while you do sit there, it's still burning. It's still the purpose is still tapas. So I think, so, so for me, that's very important. Um, and then... What, what can happen is that we can then find that balance that Patanjali talks about in the sutras of Shtiram sukham, asanam, that Vashtanga practice can sometimes be too much shtera, too much strength, too much focus on squeezing, lifting, and then we miss the sukha. So, um, and now we miss the sukha because she <laughs> got kicked out, right? So, but we sometimes miss that in our practice. So if we fi- find ways to integrate and then rebalance you know, um, for me, sometimes, uh, especially like, uh, sometimes for me, I, it, it, it took, it took a long time to reach kind of a balance. So when I started Ashtanga Yoga, I wanted to do so much asanas. The asanas were very, very exciting. And then, and then I was sitting and I, and I was sitting and doing asanas, but asanas were definitely more exciting. And I mean, it took some decision of like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago that said that really felt like no, sitting is more exciting. <laughs> and I don't know if you could count sitting as exciting, but maybe I felt more drawn towards it. It would be a false advertisement to say that sitting is exciting. <laughs> um, instead of watching a movie, I don't know, then maybe it's a little depending on the movie, you know, um, uh, movies can also be boring. Uh, <laughs> so, so I took a decision maybe 10 years ago or so that said as much time as I spend doing asanas, I have to match with sitting. And I had a very long asana practice. And my asana practice like more than three hours long when I was like, no, I need to match this. This is too much asanas. So I first was sitting longer. And then I was like, I'm going to reduce asanas. because I'm not going to quit life and just do asanas for three and a half hours and then sit for three and a half hours. And then what, then I have no job, you know, then what, then the electrical company is going to be like, you didn't pay the electricity. Oh, I'm doing sadhana. (laughs) I should get credits. Oh, wonderful. That'd be great. But sorry, we live in a capitalist world. right? So at some moment though, um, at some moment, I actually went so far into like the soft space that I didn't really want to do a dynamic practice. And then I, I found a way to, to really do the whole Ashtanga practice with so little effort um, that, it, that it was really interesting. I felt like, oh, I'm just not really exerting effort here. This is weird. And then I took a lead class and was like, oh, (laughs) I need to exert effort again, (laughs) which again is why a teacher is really important. So I go back and practice with my teacher and then that shines light on places where I maybe went too much into sukkah. Oh, too much softness. Oh, too much lying there. Too much uh, just meditating and breathing and, you know, feeling the quiet space. And then like, oh, I don't lift up anymore. Hmm. Well, the lift up isn't going to lift itself up. So let's try again. (laughs) Make sense? The mental aspect of ease and flow. While you're doing the rigor of the Ashtanga practice is probably the most important point of integration, letting go of the desire, the attachment for the next pose, letting go of the need for more while at the same time showing up and doing your best. Mm -hmm. So sure? just to up for you, you, you someone who wants to do um, you suggest before, before, before after, uh, five minutes after five minutes? Super good question. So, to get started with meditation for someone that already has a dedicated ashtanga practice, what I recommend is to sit for five minutes at the end of your practice because you already have a discipline. And this way you don't need to bring a new discipline in. You're already doing your practice. You do the final relaxation. You get up just like we did today in the practice. Just sit for about five minutes. Um, if, you, if you have taken some meditation classes and can do self-directed for five minutes, great. If not, put on a small recording and sit for five minutes. Why I recommend this is because it's very difficult to make a new habit. So if you already have a habit of doing your practice, if we just add on five minutes to our existing habit, it's more likely we're going to do it. Then after that's established for about a year, we can place in our mind, maybe I should sit first thing in the morning or last thing at night and see what happens. And then we can choose one of those two, eventually both, but choose one of those two. Then after some time goes by, if you feel, oh, I like sitting, sitting is interesting. I feel benefit from this. Then I recommend to join a meditation retreat. You know, just the same thing we do with someone new to asanas. You know, what do you do? Well, just start to do it a little bit. Some athlete wants to practice. Great. After your run, do a little bit of yoga. Then you start doing more and then start to think. Maybe on a day you don't run, maybe you can still do yoga. Oh, maybe you can do yoga more often. Oh, maybe you can do more yoga that's running. I and mean, then it sounds like we're trying to like convert someone, you know what I mean? And then eventually do a week-long course where you only do yoga. <gasps> yeah. Any questions from, the, from everyone at home? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I answered that one. Any other questions? I, I'm just curious. Um, how long is your practice now is, and where do you practice? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. How long is my practice now, and where am I in my practice? Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, <laughs> so, when I take primary series once a week, sometimes twice a week, I'll do primary series, um, and it takes me about the same amount of time as anyone doing primary series. I do faster than the lead class. Everybody, when we do our own practice, faster than the lead class. We take a lead class, we look at the clock and we're like, what have we been doing? Why are we only at Janusha Sasana? We should be done. They I, I, I should be having coffee. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Me too. I'm like, how am I I sometimes look at the clock in the lead class and I'm like, oh. Some one hour left. I can't believe it. It's worse when it's second series. And I do second series, also, I take about the same amount of time as anyone else doing second series. Also lead class, very difficult for the same reason. Then when I do third series by myself, so I practice third series. Um, so I practice third series and some of fifths two times a week. So I do third and fifths two times a week. And then I do fourth and some of fifths also two times a week. So I split the, I I was doing, before I started fifth, I was doing third and then fourth only. So like one day of third and three days of fourth. But then now I split to do third and fifth, fourth and fifth, third and fifth, fourth and fifth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm not doing the full fifth series, but I'm doing, you know, some some poses of fifth series, which are very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, But I managed to economize. So when I practice, it's interesting when I practice here, like at home, and on my own, I like economize and I can get this done in about 90 minutes, no matter what I do. When I go to India, I don't know what I do, but it takes like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> do the same thing. And I'm like, how is this taking so long? And I understand I'm trying a little bit harder. I'm re- I have a very non-attached attitude to many things. I try once and I'm like, well... <laughs> I'll try tomorrow, you know, but then when uh, my teacher's standing in front of me and he's asking me, Kino, why are you not trying? And I'm like, let me try again (laughs) right now. (laughs) I did try once, but it didn't go so well. Or when he asked me, how did it go? Oh, it went badly. I thought I would just try tomorrow. Try again now. Okay. (laughs) That's what happened the last time when I was just like, oh, I try once. That's it. You know, it didn't happen. Look, it was horrible. No problem. I'd try tomorrow, you know. Um, But uh, that's why you need a teacher. So Shadidhi came to me and he was like, you know, why aren't you trying? I said, I tried once. How did it go? It went horrible. Try three, four, five, even 10 times you can try. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I really wasn't into that. But I mean, I didn't say that. I was like, "Uh uh-huh, okay." Now? Now you do. (laughs) absolutely let me do that right now absolutely and it actually went so horrible the last time i was there that he told me to go and get a bolster and try with a bolster so i was like yep i'm gonna go do accessible fifth series i'll be right back You know, they have like one, he doesn't call it a bolster. He calls it a cushion, right? So I'm like, it's a bolster, but it's a bad one, actually. Um, and like, I'm like, I should bring my own next time. Uh, but so then I like walk across the room and get, a, and I see everybody's like looking at me like, what is Kino doing with a bolster? And I'm like, just series. One day you do. <laughs> It's very difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. And then I I have, I'm, but I go to India. It's wonderful because I, you know, you're in a different time zone. There's not meetings that happen. And so then I can really take the time for the sadhana. And also in the back of my mind, for example, when I'm teaching, I definitely shorten my asana practice. I don't shorten my sitting practice, but my asana practice gets like, "Eh," because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking when I'm teaching, oh, don't work so hard because you don't want to feel it when you're assisting later. Like, I have that in my mind of, like, oh, you know, I have to see, like, because eh. I've done a couple times where, many times, not a couple, many times, where I've just like gone for it in my practice. And then I like walk around the room like, you look great on your own today. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, yeah, uh, just try again and you'll be fine. <laughs> so then I feel like I'm a bad teacher. So then I realized, okay, don't push so hard so that you're physically unable to give to the students. <laughs> and so my Asana practice when I'm teaching it shortens itself a little bit. And there's certain things that, and I don't shorten the closing poses and I don't shorten the the you know the foundational poses, but the stuff in the middle like abbreviate a little bit and don't push as hard. I just do. I don't push this hard and I don't try I don't do that thing where I try many times I am like once and I'm like all right what it was let it go yeah yeah I think it's important that the teacher keeps practicing. This is also important. I mean, at some moment, Patabi Joyce, I think, stopped the asana practice, but he maintained the the, the sort of more subtle aspects of the practice. He did his puja practice every day, he did his chanting practice every day, and he was waking up. It it became service for him. And I think that's okay. You know, when someone asked him, I think when he was like 91, how many asanas you're doing every day? And he said, I'm 91. That was his answer, you know? (laughs) The person asked the question again, he said the same answer again. You know, he's like, look... But then I had a, a student of mine, I think I've said this before, who went there and she's practicing with me for a while. And she just kept telling me how old she was. She's like, I'm so old. I'm so 50. And she's like, I'm so old. I'm so old. Oh my God. I'm so old. And I was much younger at the time. So I really couldn't say anything. I was like, but it seems like you can do when you're 50, I'll listen to you. And I, she kept on, what can I say? I was like, I don't know. Maybe we should go to India. So she had this idea. I'm so old. I'm so, her doubt was I'm so old. Right. I'm old. Finally, I think, uh, Patabi, he was, Patabi was like 87 or something when she went there. And she, I taught her full primary series and drop acts, but she went there and she was like, I'm only doing half primary because I'm old. She's like, you're not old. Stop it with this old. You know, like what, you plan on dying next year? No, like you're not old. She's like, no, I'm old. I'm old. half primary is good for me. I'm old lady. And I was like, okay. First thing that happened, she stopped at Navasana. Patabi Joyce from across the room. Why you stop at Navasana? <laughs> oh I, uh, you do and then she's doing the nice so she ran away and then every day she would try to run away and then he kept on yelling at her and then finally I see him doing backbends with her and then she's got a to the conference she raises her hand I'm 50 years old I'm so old why do I have to do backbends <laughs> and I'm like oh god don't do you know what I mean but Patavito is the one who could answer he's 87 so he looked at her and he said how old 50 yes 50 years old so Old. And he looked at her and smiled and he said, you're a young lady. <laughs> Half life ahead of you. Young lady. And then he did this little head bobble, and she was like, oh what can I say okay I do back pens tomorrow and then she just did him the rest of the trip (laughs) you know (laughs) she could easily do it (laughs) so anyhow what doubts you have get over them right figure out a way to work with it and uh for me I have I have all those doubts so I'm working with them too and they come up for me when I'm doing this what sounds like a horrible self-torture moment of practice you know and those come up for me too and I work with them you know, in different ways and, and forms and shapes and like little weird injuries come up and I work with those. And, you know, like the most irritating injury that um, that has come up for me, I rarely from my practice, those things seem to come and go. But over the summer, I stepped in a hole while I was picking up a bunch of star fruits. It's what I told you I'm very fascinated with fruits. We have a star fruit tree. And I got really excited because I'd been out of town and they came back and they're like a lot of star fruits. So I was like, Wow. So I went over and I, in my enthusiasm, picked up a lot of star fruits and didn't take a time to look at the star fruits and they were covered with ants, but I didn't realize that until the ants were crawling on me, at which point I was like, "Ah!" my, my thought was, let me run inside really quickly and I'll wash them. But we had recently removed a tree that was like an old tree that needed to go. So there was a hole in our yard. I stepped in a hole, twisted my ankle. Starfruits flew in the air. And it was like a cartoon. And I must have made a really loud, like the starfruits flying. And the ants were all off the starfruits when I went to pick them up again. <laughs> I hope they all lived somehow. But ants are pretty durable. So that, and then Tim came running out. What happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, oh, this must have been pretty bad because he's normally very Scandinavian, kind of like, you know, very stoic. Like, I stubbed my toe, and I'm like, ah! And he's like, you're fine, you know. <laughs> but there he came out like, are you okay? Oh my god, What's happened? And I, and I was, and I was like lying on the ground also, and he was like, are you, are you, do you need help? And I'm like, I'm, and I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> but uh, but so I sprained. I'm still my ankle's still a little unhappy from that. Like a few months down the road and then like the, and then like my knee took a little hit and that's a little unhappy so that's annoying so I'm dealing with that I'm working with that you know and so that comes up you know I didn't even do it during the practice so I just think like thank you for the star fruits each time my ankle hurts (laughs) what a wonderful sweet star fruits (laughs) with the faith that sooner or later it's going to get better you know good well we went a little over time so i'll just say thank you everyone it's been a really great uh time to share with each of you so thank you thank you thank you everyone and thank you everyone at home keep practicing and um if you're online i'll see you for yin on wednesday all right thank you bye Bye. thank you thank you You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So, you can find my full live in person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer. spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.